It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my co-host, Chris Thompson. Hey, what's going on, Dan? It's good to see you, man. Good to see you too, man. You know, today's episode is very interesting. Got a new topic coming you guys' way. Super excited to introduce it to our show listeners. Tell the listeners who we spoke with today. Okay, so today we brought in Adam Stern. Uh, Adam has transacted on more single-family rental portfolios than any other single professional broker in the single-family rental industry. He's built a firm presence in the institutional single-family rental industry since its emergence in 2010. Over the past decade, he's made a career listing and selling existing rental property portfolios to and for some of the largest institutional investors in the space, as well as newly emerging private equity groups. Uh, So today, we talked a lot about the the concept of just build to rent and what that process looks like. We also spoke about the metrics and trends that he evaluates when determining which markets are appropriate for this asset type. A lot of good stuff in this episode. Make sure to, to stay tuned at the end. There's some good stuff at the end there, uh, definitely. But uh, before we jump into today's show, we want all our listeners to know that we truly appreciate you tuning in. And if you'd like to show some love and haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and written review. It really helps us attract more guests, grow the podcast, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. Also, if you're a passive real estate investor or looking to learn more about passive investing, then check out our website at twosmartassets.com. There you can find our passive investing guide and apartment syndication sample deal that will have you primed and ready for when the real opportunities come your way. Also, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Posting some great content on there, so make sure to follow us and start connecting. All right, now that's out of the way, let's jump into today's episode with Adam Stern. Adam, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Daniel. How are you? Man, we are doing great. We are very honored to have you on the show. And uh, let's just dive into this thing, man. Uh, to start, give the listeners a bit more context about yourself and what your current focus is. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in the institutional SFR, single family rental space, for the last 10 years. Um, I had launched a, a firm with a partner that uh, kind of uh, uh, developed into a trading platform for single family rental property portfolios. So I became just like a really specialized broker that only did SFR portfolios. And I I built a really robust, kind of wide-ranging buyer base of institutional investors, private equity firms, family offices, people with you know, substantial capital to allocate. And my job is to find them portfolio opportunities. I, I, I later sold the business that was a trading platform for portfolios, and I continue to do that. And um, a lot of what my clients were asking me for in 2019, 2020, were built for rent projects. So I kind of, uh, I didn't kind of, I launched my own firm called Strata SFR. Still doing SFR portfolio brokerage, but also focusing a lot of my time and energy on this newly minted asset class uh, or this thing called Build for Rent, which is essentially uh, uh, building uh, projects from the ground up uh, and then building townhomes and single family homes detached in communities as rentals. So I'm doing both those things right now. 
Awesome. Um, can you, would you mind like elaborating a little bit more on this build to, build to rent? Like what does that, what does that process look like? I'm curious. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, people ask me all the time what I do and, you know, I, I, I consider myself kind of an off market specialist. Um, if you look at anything you do in real estate, there's kind of the on market way of doing things, which means you take an asset, no matter what the asset is, whether it's bill for rent or SFR portfolios or multifamily or townhomes or, you know, storage facilities, whatever the asset class is, and you know, find a marketplace and you list it, right? I've been kind of doing all this in this weird space called the off market for a very long time. And with respect to your question, with respect to bill for rent, there's a lot of different components to bill for rent that uh, a guy like me that's not a principal, not acting as a principal, can add value in in the off market because there's a lot of moving parts. So the way I do it is probably different than 90% of the people that do this where I don't go look for projects that are stabilized as built for communities. I don't look for projects that are being built by builders that can be sold in one piece as built for communities. What I do is I'd go out there and the first thing I did is I interviewed and I surveyed a lot of buyers to find out where they're buying, what structure they're buying in, uh, you know, what the characteristics of the asset and what the characteristics of the land is that they need to build uh, communities for or, you know, build communities uh, uh, according to. And what I do now is sometimes I'll look for a builder that has a community that is being built and he'll sell his entire community to my investor and my investor will buy all the properties in the community and then rent them out. And that's easy enough. But more and more, I find that going upstream and then talking to the lot developer that is going to sell those lots to the builder so he can build his homes. I find myself competing with builders for those lots so that I can have my buyer buy those lots and then bring those lots to the builders that I line up as a fee build, you know, saying, hey, we've got these lots, we want you to build these kind of units on them. And then they'll hire them as, an, you know, kind of as a contractor to build the, the build for rent units. Um, I even go further upstream and sometimes I compete with the lot developers for the land that they buy in order to create the lots in order to sell to the builders who are gonna build the units. So I've kind of got this holistic view of there's a lot of people in the build for rent space right now from landowners to land developers to lot owners and lot developers and builders. And there's not a lot of, you know, deep experience out there. A lot of people that are trying to play in this space don't have a lot of deep experience. A lot of them have a tremendous amount of experience. My job is to kind of find these different puzzle pieces and put them together. So whether it's a capital source and a builder or a builder and a lot developer and a capital source or a landowner, a lot developer, uh, a capital source and a builder. I'm the guy that puts those puzzle pieces together and I serve them up to institutional clients that kind of say, okay, all right, I see the land, I see the lots, I see the cost to build both. You got a builder, I see the cost to build the, the units. Okay, let's go. And they execute on the structure that I put together, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm curious uh, as a I guess a second part of this. You know, like you, we we always are like studying market and economic data. You know, and we know like student loans play a huge factor in a lot of people's lives on whether or not they're gonna uh, you know decide to buy or build a new home. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, like in your opinion and your experience, like if you could tell me more about what you think the what what you think is driving the consumer demand for this build to rent process. I got my opinions, just like anyone else. I'm happy to espouse them here. Please. Uh, yeah, I don't know true. if they're right or wrong, but um, I, my, my main opinion is that um, 
there's there's a number of things that are causing kind of a shift away from home ownership being the American dream to being a, a, a more of a renter society here. Uh, and part of it is right now, I believe that, you know, in 2008, when the housing meltdown happened, the people that were old enough to realize and understand what was going on, and that might have been most affected, but we're still living at home. We're like, what, like 13, 14 years old. So that was like the first generation that ever saw that housing prices could actually decline and a decline in housing prices could create a lot of turmoil for parents and families. And a lot of those families lost homes. A lot of them had to move because jobs got displaced. All those people are starting to come into fine buying years right now. And they're looking at, you know, the option of renting a home with no maintenance, no responsibilities other than paying their paying their rent. And they kind of compare it to what it would be like to, to own a home. And they're like, instead of paying a mortgage for $2,400, where you're paying, you know, uh, $1,900 uh, of that, or some, some figures going into your principal, some figures going into uh, interest pay, I'll say, hell, I'll, I'll rent a home and I'll pay less than I would for a mortgage. And I'll have all these options in front of me about where to live and, and how committed I want to be for the area. And I think that got exasperated by COVID where people are now working from home. And the idea that you don't need, like I'm from New York, the idea that I, I, I ran an online business. I moved from New York to Charlotte because I didn't have to live in New York anymore. So I, I worked from my office. That idea is now being widespread to like every industry. So like the idea that you might not have to live in an area like New York or Chicago or LA and be close to your job. And now you can actually move away and still have that job. I think that is now driving and continue to drive and will continue to drive people toward renting because until they're ready to settle in a place for a very long time and raise kids there and maybe start a family, like the option of renting is a really good one. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. I think you, I think you make some valid points. And if that's only your opinion, I think it's based on some good, reasonable criteria. I mean, I bought into it. It's what I feel too, a lot of time, you know, I can tell you what the group think is in the, in the SFR industry. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, that was my opinion. Mostly the SFR industry realizes that people uh, of a certain demographic need and are going to want larger places to live. That's not only because of COVID, that was going to happen anyway, eventually. Uh, the millennials were going to start having families and like older uh, uh, families are going to start have to downsize and, and move into different living situations and would still like larger places to live. I think all that's still valid. The, the truth of the matter is, Population is growing and there's simply not enough housing in quality areas to support that growth. And the, the entire SFR industry is all about providing that housing, you know, and it's, we do it by providing rental housing. The whole building industry is about building a, you know, for sale housing. There's just not enough. And that's a big part of what's driving the SFR industry right now. I think it's a great point. And I think you both, <clears throat> Chris's question was spot on, you know, about consumer demand. And I loved your response about it. Um, and I kind of want <clears throat> to ask a similar question, but from an investor's standpoint. So let's talk about what you and your investors are potentially seeing from your perspective as potentially strong indicators or really clear signs that this product, you know, the build for rent is actually in high demand. Obviously you said that, you know, there is a demand, but what are some of the metrics you're seeing you and your investors are saying that saying, Hey, this is, this is actually where we need to be putting our focus into. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, rent growth is, is, is one key area that everyone kind of looks at as a leading indicator of what the demand is for certain products. Um, I'll give you an example, like in when, when COVID hit last year, everyone was expecting 
tenants to have lots and lots of delinquency, right? And they were expecting vacancies to go up because people had less money, they were losing jobs. Uh, you know, housing was thought to be an area that was primarily supposed to be affected. Well, what ended up happening was um, a lot of the rental operators started reporting very, very, you know, minute drawbacks from people paying their rent late or not paying it at all, or, you know, going to an eviction. And they reported relatively strong rental income. And then kind of like as the second quarter led to the third quarter, and all of a sudden we were at the end of the year, people started looking at the year in review. And they realized that when they put homes back on the market, they not only got them rented, they were able actually to push rents a little bit, you know? And, and I think they were probably more cautious about how much they push rents because of COVID. Now they're kind of looking back and thinking, now they're coming up to another quarter and they're pushing rents as normal and they're getting them. So if there was ever an indicator, I think, of how strong the SFR market is, it's understanding you know, how much people are able to push rents, how much vacancy is increasing or not increasing, um, and the time it takes for a rental property to actually be rented, you know, how many days on market it takes. If those things are all trending flat or trending in you know, the other direction, the, the negative direction, you know, the, the rental, rental demand is obviously increasing or at least staying, staying up, to, up to pace of what, of what it was in the past. Yeah, I appreciate you going over that for sure. And I appreciate you also answering the thing about, you know, COVID kind of accelerating this. Um, I think that's probably, uh, you know, widespread across a, a number of things. Um, and also, I, I like the idea that you're kind of the connector, right? You know, you have all these things, you've kind of gone upstream and taken over and kind of dominated, and you have all these connections. And I think that's pretty amazing. And I think it's important to understand, especially in terms of, you know, what you do or kind of what you're looking at. And I want to transition that into something like um, market selection, right? Because, you know, in different areas, things work differently, right? So you might have multifamily in one area, single family in another, and then you got, you know, a whole different type of asset class. Uh, in another area. Let's talk about market selection and where, you know, you're focusing and why. So what metrics and trends are you evaluating uh, when determining, you know, which markets are appropriate for this asset type? So I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't have a lot, uh, a unique answer for that because I, my business strategy was to survey all the investors that I knew that were mostly big, big institutional or, or REITs or real estate funds to find out, like when I started Strata, I, I interviewed probably 30 different institutional investors. And out of those 30, like 23 wanted to buy in the smile states, the Southeast United States, you know, right. from Raleigh to Jacksonville, as far west as like Tennessee. And like, you know, out of those 23, like 13 wanted to buy a very similar type kind of property. You know, they wanted to be in a certain school score district. They wanted to be, you know, crime stats look a certain way. They wanted to be a certain distance to amenities, certain distance to, interstates. So I kind of found this vein of investors that all had their own nuances, but they all had a very similar strategy. And I said, all right, if I found this product, I'd have a good shot at engaging this larger swath of my overall buying group. And that's what I set out as my buy, as my buy criteria. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm kind of, my whole territory is the off market. So after I figured out what my buy box was going to be, I tried to figure out who I needed to meet and what value I can create by meeting those people for the capital sources. And it became really apparent to me after the first couple of months, uh, meeting builders was great and offering builders an education and an entree to institutional capital was valuable until I realized that builders had everyone and their mother knocking on their door to try to buy their property. So they didn't really need me to introduce them to institutional capital. That institutional capital, one way or the other, was finding the builders. Um, 
that's what led me down the path of saying, all right, we're going to create the value. Oh, you know, builders need new build uh, or fee build uh, projects. So I started finding lot deals and I started trying to find land deals. Um, my, my market selection was really about what my buyers raised their money on. And that market selection was real simple. It was, they wanted to be in population centers with over a million people and growing. And they wanted to be on the outskirts or like the bedroom communities that supported those major markets. And they wanted to have access to amenities, access to transportation, access to uh, transport, and some kind of driver behind uh, jobs and population to keep that going over the next you know, five to 10 years. Um, and that's a lot of the areas that I, I ended up doing business in. Put together, you know, I've been doing this since January of 2020. We've closed three deals. I have another six that are pending right now. And that's one guy just out there trying to find deals and put them together. Um, so that's, that's, my main, that's my main focus. And I, I will say, you know, for any of your, your audience, and they're trying to figure out how to make money in either Bill Friend or SFR, or really any real estate asset class, is my biggest asset is my network of people that I created to find me opportunities. And what I find is people that are feeding me deals know very little about what I do or how I do it, and they don't need to. What they feed me is like, um, they know the town that's getting the new whatever that's causing a buzz in town to want to have people live there. And they tell me about that. And I use that and I figure out what the play for a rental property portfolio or a rental property subdivision is. They have no idea whether their opportunity fits my model, but the, and we call them bird dogs, we call them different things, people that source opportunities. Um, by finding a guy like me or finding guys like you or anyone that has a specialty of knowing how to take an opportunity and kind of fit it into whatever, whatever widget that they're selling at the time, the people that do it the best are the people that hand me the opportunity and just sit there and follow my process so that you can really, really knowledgeable about how I go about taking that opportunity and placing it. So the next time they go and find it, they'll know a little bit more about what I do on my side and can more aptly find me better opportunities. And they're invaluable to my business. So I think, I think it's important that, you know, we touched on that, the, the, the power of network is just huge, right? I mean, who you know and kind of what, putting those pieces together, the fact that you're able to have that kind of network, well, I mean, you've built this network, right? It didn't just happen. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that's massive. And I think, uh, you know, that applies to almost every, every area of investing. So I, I think that's, that's pretty huge. I do have one question just because I'm not super familiar with the, the build for rent space. You know, we talk a lot about syndications and stuff on the show, but very interested. Um, through your time in this, Obviously, single-family homes can be bought and sold in different ways. Uh, I'm curious about exit strategies. Obviously, you know you have a, a huge play in selling these portfolios to institutional investors. It's kind of the the play there. Is there any other strategies, exit strategies for this type of portfolio uh, in term in, instead of just you know selling it off to institutional investors? Was that ever in your playbook, or is it just completely institutional investors the whole way? So my uh, the biggest part of my business isn't actually selling to the institutional investors. My biggest Biggest part of my business is selling to the guys who will eventually exit to the institutional investors. Right. Okay. So the answer is yes. There's tons of strategies out there uh, that ultimately could find an exit through an institutional investor, or they can find another exit through, you know, creating a REIT and, and exiting through either public markets or private markets. Um, there always has to be an exit for the project in mind. Um, and right now, the easiest thing to rationalize is exiting to a big public company, right? Um, but you know, if, if that's your exit strategy, the problem people run into is that puts them in a lot of 
very, very crowded ponds all over the place. Like if your ultimate goal is to sell the invitation homes, who's in, I think, you know, 12 or 13 markets, that puts you in 13 of the top most hotly contested markets all around the country, you know, competing against everyone else that's doing generally the same thing, looking to exit to a company like them. Um, what I love is people that kind of have a little more of a risk tolerance and can, can kind of imagine a world where, I'll give you an example. I've got a portfolio right now in a no-name market that I, I shouldn't call it no-name market. I didn't know the market. I didn't know what it was all about. Guy's going to kill me if he hears me say it. It's a portfolio of 160 properties in a place called Athens, Georgia, right? Athens is where the University of Georgia is. It's a, it's a big military town, solid, salt-of-the-earth, blue-collar community. It's not a sub market of Atlanta. It's its own market, right? Um, now, if I was going to sell that to a fund that only wanted to exit through an institutional investor, they wouldn't look at it because none of the big guys are there and none of the big institutional investors are talking about or thinking about going there. But Athens got all this great stuff going for it. Like rent growth is off the charts. Home price appreciation is high. Schools are good. There's a lot of work in the area. It's, it's a solid, solid town. Now, a guy like you know anybody might look at it and say, if I could build a portfolio of five or six or 700 properties there, well, then I've got this big, well-heeled, well-performing portfolio that if a firm like Invitation Homes or Progress or Tricon or any of the big guys wanted to go there, well, my acquisition would make it possible in one, in one purchase, right? So very often what I find people not doing right now because it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of risk uh, tolerance is picking a place that they think, they think is a really good area for a number of reasons and plan on being a portfolio there that they know by virtue of building a nice big portfolio that is well-operated and well-heeled, but it's kind of like the, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Right. Build something like that with a good solid strategy, you're going to find an exit if it's a well-heeled well, uh, and well-operated portfolio. So with that in mind, I do have a, another quick question. Uh, in terms of, you know, you do, you're doing these deals, you get them to the finish end, you know, you're the connector. What is it in terms of a timetable? What does that look like? You know, from basically, I know it probably varies depending on how much work you need to do or what you're, how far upstream you're actually going. What's, what's, a, what's a turnaround for this kind of thing? So, you know, it, it obviously depends on the deal, but like in my experience, I put together, I'll, I'll give you four deals I put together in the last year, right? Um, one is um, a 30 property portfolio in Atlanta that's scatter site. It's about, you know, 30 properties scattered. Here's Atlanta in the middle and they're all scattered all around Atlanta, right? I got that portfolio on March 1st. We put it out for disposition, had three offers the first week, got it under contract the next week and it's closing next week. So I got a portfolio and I was able to get it through disposition, contract, due diligence, and soon to be closing within a 35 to 40 day time span, right? Wow. Quick deal. I've got another transaction that's a bill for rent and I put it under contract March of last year. It is going to be closing next month. The first tranche of new properties that are going to be the first to close will end up closing in May. Then I'll close an additional eight or 10 units in June, July, August, and I'll get paid out until the end of the year. And that's like, you know, it was dirt. They had to build the homes and they had to sell them to my client in order for the, the consummate uh, the, the transaction got consummated. Another deal I'm doing is the same stage as that deal that Bill Frentiel I just explained, except my guys are coming in and buying the entitled land and closing on it. And I'll close that transaction and get paid a, uh, a fee 
uh, when that land closes. And then they'll hire a horizontal contractor and a builder that I line up and I'll get paid a fee for that. So I'll get paid a fee like, you know, in a month and then six months will go by and I'll get paid another fee, right? Now, if I was pushy about it and said, hey, I wanna get paid my whole fee up front at the land closing, well, depending on who my buyer is and how good I do by them, they might consider that. Um, I don't like to ask because, you know, you only get a few, a few asks in your, in your relationship and you wanna treat them wisely. Um, but it, that's the kind of thing where, like you come back to this idea that if these were on market transactions, like there would be a very specific, very well-defined way of how brokers and how middlemen get paid in that field. Like, you know, you look at the MLS, it's really, really simple. Sellers pay a commission, they offer a Cobra. In the off market, it's much more like the individual participants all create the off market, right? Uh, me talking to you about a real estate deal creates an off market opportunity. It's up to us to figure out who gets paid and when based upon the value they're creating. Um, and that's what's really exciting to me about this space. The fact that there is no really well-heeled, ubiquitous SFR or build front marketplace. And it's really all about, you know, guys like me, guys like you guys, um, bringing these deals together and, and figuring out, you know, how to extract value and how to add value. Well, it's got to be a huge, it's got to be a huge um, advantage to you and your investors that you're so uh, linked into these off-market, uh, these off-market deals rather than the on-market stuff, right? I mean, that's got to be massive. It's, 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 it's the big difference. Like if you look at on-market, anyone that can find the marketplace can get access to all the information on that marketplace, right? You don't have to know anybody. But with the off-market, it's, it's really dependent on, on, on two things. The off-market, it's all about, it's depend, your, your ability to source opportunities is directly correlated to your network connections. In other words, the more people you know, the more off-market opportunities you'll come in contact with, right? And it's not only that, your reputation and people trusting you allows you to get access to deals from people that you know. In other words, like if we knew each other, but you didn't trust me, chance of you sharing your off-market opportunity with me is very small. But if we have a good rapport and you trust that I'll be able to help you get wherever you want to go, well, the off-market deals that you have can be continuous. You know, you might look at me and say, hey, whenever I get an off-market transaction, I'm going to Adam because he can help me in a number of ways. Um, that's what's really cool about what's going on right now. There's a whole generation of guys, I think like me, that are looking at the off-market space and saying, I can write the rule book. You know, there's no one telling me what to do or how to do it. I can figure it out on my own. And, you know, if, if it works, it works. And a lot of times you can make, you can make really good money and uh, you can add a lot of value to a lot of people's lives just by figuring out a good way to do it. Adam, I got to be honest with you, man. I think I could probably sit here all day and ask you questions just because, I, you know, I'm very curious about this, this space. And I think it's very intriguing. But uh, before we run out of time, we want to make sure to shine the spotlight on you. So tell the listeners, uh, you know, about your company or anything else you have going on. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the uh, name of the company is called Strata SFR. We're a boutique uh, SFR portfolio and uh, built for brokerage. You know, we focus on the Southeast smile states from North Carolina down to Florida as far west as Tennessee. Um, you can visit us at uh, www.stratasfr.com and happy to have to talk to you. Absolutely. We're going to make sure to link all that stuff in the show notes. So if any of our listeners want to reach out, uh, they can do so. But Adam, man, it's been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Dan, Chris, appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.